Again, if you were not here for announcements, let me take just a few seconds to welcome you to Independent Presbyterian Church. We're a church that exists to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And we trust that as God works in our lives and we are seeking to be a new people, a new people that as God's Holy Spirit changes us and makes us a new people, then as God works in us and through us as we go out into the city in which we live and the city which we love, Memphis, Tennessee, we want to see our city changed as well. It's our hope that whether you are with us just for today because you're traveling through or if you choose to make IPC your church home, that you will find that to be the case. I also want to let you know that I'm aware it's not easy for everyone in this room to be here uh, this morning. Some of you come in this morning with real doubts, and you feel as though people haven't treated those doubts seriously in the past, and you felt dismissed and diminished, and maybe even at times you felt dissed. Others of you have experienced real pain in churches or from Christians that you not only felt belittled, you felt berated and betrayed. And it's left a lot of emotional scars in your life. And your guard is way up this morning because you promised yourself you would never let that happen again. And perhaps still others of you have come to this place where you feel as though your life is a wreck and you're looking for something. You're, you're looking for just anything that may make your life make sense. And still, there are a myriad of other ways that people are feeling this morning, but I want you to know whatever your story, whatever your background, however it is that you have come here today, we are glad that you're here. And I hope and pray that you will walk out of this place this morning feeling as though you have met with God in a very real sense that he loves you. We're going to be looking this morning at the first few verses of the book of Galatians. We, we call it the book of Galatians, but actually it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's the earliest letter we have from Paul, and it was written about 17 or 18 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. We believe it was written around 47 to 48 AD. So let me invite you to turn there with me if you don't have the Bible with you. Uh, that's okay. There are some in the pew racks in front of you, and you'll find our text on page 972. While you're finding the text, maybe you're like me and there are times that, that you'll go on the internet to research something or to look something up and suddenly you find yourself down kind of one of those proverbial rabbit holes. I, I tend, when I go down the rabbit holes, they're me. Um, usually it's something like barbecue cooking videos. I can find myself just get lost in those. The second bucket is baseball managers and baseball players getting ejected from games. Third is golden buzzer performances from either America's Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent. I love those. And then the last bucket is one that I kind of found myself going down yesterday, and that is kind of the general do you know category. Random facts and trivia that I just find fascinating. For instance... Did you know the average person outside of a sermon falls asleep in seven minutes? <laughs> Do you know that if you try to say the alphabet without moving your lips or tongue, every letter will sound the same? I'm going to pause now, go ahead and try it. Let's get it out of our system. Do you know that every time you see a full moon, you're looking at the same side? 
Did you know that stewardesses is the longest word that's only typed with your left hand? We're in the South, so I think this is relevant. Do you know that it's possible to lead a cow upstairs, but it's impossible to lead a cow downstairs? Do you know that you share your birthday with about 9 million other people around the world? Do you know that a piece of paper cannot be folded more than seven times in half? If you're wondering why we have a bulletin shortage this morning, it's because the people at 830 didn't believe me and they tried and we couldn't recycle the bulletins. Did you know that bubble wrap was originally made as wallpaper? I would love that. (laughs) Did you know that Q is the only letter in the alphabet that isn't in the name of a U.S. state? Here's one. Do you know the gospel? Can you explain it? If your neighbor or, or your roommate or a coworker asked you, do you know how the gospel described in the pages of this book is different from religion? And lastly, and to be honest, most importantly, do you know the gospel? Has it changed you? Or is it just something you're familiar with hearing, but you've never really experienced it personally? Do you know the gospel? That's what I want us to consider in the moments that we have together this morning. And I want you to see that even in the introduction of this letter, Paul begins with the gospel. And as important as it was for Paul and for the original listening audience, it is just as important for us as well. So let's give our attention to the reading and preaching of God's word to us this morning. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious God, we repeat the prayer we began the service of worship with, asking that you would be with us in this moment and that we might hear from you. We may be thinking, what on earth would a letter written thousands of years ago have to do with us as we consider our lives, our relationships, our week ahead or the week through which we just came? Some of us are here this morning unsure or unsteady in our relationship with you. For others of us, our relationship has grown stale and could be described as more of an affiliation or acquaintance. And then there are some of us who feel as though there's no use in even evaluating our relationship because we feel as if there is none. We feel cold and distant from you. We feel as though no one, especially not an all-powerful, eternal being, would stop for a moment to give us even a moment of attention. We're a room of converging emotions, lonely, hurt, confused, angry, bitter, annoyed, bored, uninterested, scared, and that's just to name a few. 
But then there are some of us in this room who are basking in your love and grace and feel very close to you and just want to be even closer. However it is in which we find ourselves in this moment, would you be so kind as to speak into our lives through the words written by Paul to a people separated by centuries, but just like us nonetheless? You've preserved these words by your spirit through the ages. Will you press these words into our hearts and mind by that same spirit? And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would speak for your servants listen. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you've been in church or around Christians much at all, you've heard the word gospel. We use it so frequently, we just assume that everybody knows what we're talking about. However, in an ever-increasing post-Christian society, that assumption is naive, if not dangerous. By itself, and without context, the word gospel simply means good news. So what then is this good news according to Paul? We might ask, what is, if you will, Paul's gospel, or, or the gospel that he thinks is so good? That's what we want to look at this morning. In these verses, Paul gives us at least three categories to help define and explain what the gospel is. I want to suggest that Paul says the gospel is something to be received. The gospel is something to be remembered. And the gospel is something to be revered. Let me repeat that. The gospel is something to be um, received. The gospel is something to be remembered, and the gospel is something to be revered. Let's look at the first one. The gospel is something to be received. Look again at verse 3. Keep your Bibles open. Notice it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we said at the beginning, we're looking at a letter from the Apostle Paul. When I was in school many centuries ago, and when most of you were in school, we were taught that letters took on a certain form. Different types of letters took on different forms, but they followed a pattern. There was the friendship letter, right? There was the business letter. Well, the same was true during Paul's day as well. But what's in this, the typical Greek opening was some letter of the day, and that is that the word grace is followed by the word peace. So you get to verse 3, and you see that Paul writes, grace and all of Paul's letters. But let's not stop there. Notice Paul doesn't just stick to a standard form. He then adds a tag to the end of what would be a general, generic greeting. Notice he says, grace and peace to you from, from God the Father. In the Lord Jesus Christ. I think there's a couple of things we can draw from this. First, Paul sees himself as an ambassador, a messenger. He overtly refers to himself as an apostle. In other words, one who had, who had visibly seen the resurrected Christ. And so as such, he is speaking with authority as one who can testify that Christ is in fact risen from the dead. And he does that in verse 1. That would have carried a great deal of uh, weight in the first century church, just as it would for us as well. In other words, the closer someone is to a person of interest, the more weight we may give what they say. In other words, if you can get a quote from a close advisor or, or senior advisor to the, to the president or the governor or the mayor, if you can get a quote from a senior advisor, well, then there's a good chance, right, that the president, the governor, or the, or the mayor said that or, or would say something like that. 
Well, the apostles held a great deal of sway in the early church, as they should have. And so Paul speaks with and uses that authority. Paul knows he is speaking on behalf of God. And he's saying, as an apostle, I want to communicate to you, churches in Galatia, the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive it. Receive it. But notice Paul also sees grace and peace, not just as a throwaway greeting, but a direct message from God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. He also sees God the Father and the Son as the very source of that grace and peace. In other words, he is saying it is from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ that one can truly receive grace and peace. Peace. Sure, these words are normally used in a letter, but Paul is saying, listen, for Christians, these are just not wishes. These are just not words. He's saying it's actually possible. Part of what is received in the gospel is that one is receiving grace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And only after grace is extended by the Father and by Jesus, then and only then does peace follow. Always in that order. Grace comes first. And only when one receives grace do they find themselves at peace with God and enjoy the peace that can only come from God. What is grace? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked it this morning. Usually when we define grace, we use words like, grace is unmerited favor. It's not something you earn, it's given to you and you have nothing to offer for it in return. That's not a bad definition, but the grace that the Bible talks about is even more than unmerited favor. It's actually favor in the face of demerit. I heard a fellow minister and a friend of mine describe it this way. He says, if you mow my yard and I give you $50, that's not grace, that's wages. If you don't mow my yard and I give you $50, that is unmerited favor. If you don't mow my yard, you punch me in the nose and I give you $50, that's favor in the face of demerit. That's biblical grace. Do you realize that when the Bible talks about grace, it's not that you came to the table with something to offer God. It's not that you came to the table with empty pockets, with nothing to offer God. The grace that the Bible describes is you didn't come to the table. You were running as far away from the table as you could get. You were actually an enemy of God and doing everything you could to rebel against him. And in the face of that, God pursued you and offered you grace. Grace in the face of D merit grace to you and from that peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ that is good news and that's to be received how can that be what is the actual specific grace received that's why the gospel is something to be remembered It's something to be remembered. Notice verse 4. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Christ gave of himself. 
and giving of himself, Christ became a substitute. He goes more deeply into that later on in the letter, but even here in these early verses, Paul is instructing us to remember this very important, this crucial point of the gospel. Part of the apostles' testimony would be lending firsthand accounts of Jesus dying by way of crucifixion and his resurrection from the dead, but also they would be speaking in terms of what exactly that meant. What Paul relays in this letter is that Jesus didn't give of himself generally so that you and I might have a second chance. Jesus didn't just provide a reset, a redo, a do-over, a chance to clean up our act, a chance to try harder, do better. No. Paul is saying that by giving himself for our sins, that Jesus gave of himself specifically. He gave everything in the place of you and me. He accomplishes everything, everything, everything for your salvation. We had nothing. And Paul is saying that is what's to be remembered. Because, and don't miss this, because Jesus paid for my sin on my behalf, I cannot fall back into condemnation. Why? Because that would be unjust, and our God is a God of justice. God would be getting two payments for the same sin. Jesus gave himself for our sins. If our sins are paid for, we don't, we won't pay for them again. That, Paul is saying, is the gospel, and that is to be remembered. And it's also to be remembered that Jesus gave himself for our sins in order to rescue us. Rescue implies we're helpless. Rescue implies we're lost. Founders of other religions primarily came to teach, not to rescue. This is where Christianity stands above and over and is alone. It is not a religion. It is true. Jesus came to rescue. Founders of other religions came primarily to teach. Jesus is a great teacher, and Paul would recognize that, but did you notice he doesn't bring it up? Why? Because the fact that Jesus is a great teacher is not the gospel. That's not the good news. The average person believes that a Christian is someone who follows Christ, teaching an example. But here Paul shows just how impossible that is. You don't rescue people unless they are, one, lost and in danger, and two, they are helpless. When one is perishing and unable to recover themselves, then someone acts to save. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus acted when and in a way that we could not. We were helpless. We were lost. Jesus acted, and he acted sufficiently and with an intentionality. Listen, my friend. Jesus didn't die to take a chance on you. Jesus died to save you. Jesus died to deliver you, and he accomplished what he set his mind to do. God the Father did not gamble with the precious blood of his Son. God didn't put the blood of Christ down as some sort of bet with a chance, a chance that you may be saved. Every drop of blood that was shed accomplished everything that was intended. 
That, Paul is saying, is the good news. That's the gospel. And it's something to be remembered. Jesus didn't die trying to save you. Jesus died to save you. It's done. It's done. So what I was not just unwilling to do, but unable to do, Christ did on my behalf to deliver me, to save me. I was in danger and lost, Paul says, in this present evil age. I was helpless in this present evil age. And Jesus delivered me, and he'll deliver you. The gospel is something to be received from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is something to be remembered who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, which leads to the third and last point Paul wants us to know this morning. The gospel is something to be revered. Notice he says at the end of verse 4 and verse 5, according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This work of Jesus was not done subversively. It's not like Jesus was looking and saw that we were about to get it for upsetting his father. And in seeing God gear up to let us have it, Jesus decided to step in to intervene. The work of Jesus was not done to thwart or to change God's mind. No. Paul makes clear the work of Jesus was done in order to bring God's mind, God's plan, God's thoughts into reality to accomplish the will and the want of the father. As you sit here today, How many times have you thought that when God loves you, he does so reluctantly? Be honest. That he kind of, well, you better be glad Jesus did what he did. Oh, all right, I guess you can come close to me. I'll even let you keep the family name. Or maybe let me me ask it this way. How many of us live our lives as if, we're, as if we're on probation? Did Jesus accomplish part of what was needed, but now it's up to us to hold on to it? When I was a child, when I would stay home from school sick or summer break or Christmas break, I used to love to watch the game show The Price is Right. But if you think about the prices right and the games they play on it, almost all, if not all the games, you're given so many chances to win. You can make some mistakes, but if you make too many, right, you lose the car, you lose the showcase showdown. Many of us live the Christian life as if if the gospel is the price is right. We're playing the game and God is standing right there beside us with his celestial microphone saying, no, that's not right. Try again. Oh, still no. Give it another shot. Okay, be careful. This is your last chance. Wah, wah, wah. You lost. Paul is telling us to remember the gospel is not a game show. That's what makes it the gospel. You don't have to hold on to it. The good news is that God is holding on to you through Jesus Christ, and he wants to. And when we receive the message of the gospel, and we remember the effects of the gospel, it leads to an outpouring of celebration, an exuberant joy. 
This message uh, from God that's made possible by God leads to one thing, the eternal praise of God, just like Paul says, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We hear the word amen and we think, time to eat. We hear the word amen and we think, I can lift my head, I can open my eyes, we're moving on now. Do you know what the word amen means? So be it. Or let it be. Let it be true. When the person says amen, they're saying, let it be true for me. So when Paul says, to whom be glory forever and ever, he's reflecting back on the gospel and he's saying, it is true, so be it. Let it be true for me and let it be true for you. So let me ask it again. Do you know the gospel? Not just words. Is it real to you? Have you experienced the grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? You can. You can. That's what Paul wants us to know. That's what I want us to know. But most importantly, don't miss this. That's what God wants you to know. Why do you think you're here this morning? That's why he brought us here. To hear this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be received. It is to be remembered. It's to be revered. So be it. Let it be true for me. Let it be true for you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make this true in each and every one of the hearts of the people who are gathered in this room right now, who are watching on our live stream, or who later on this week or month or in years to come will download this message. I pray that in this moment, you will make it true that you will impress on us the grace and the peace that comes from you through the Lord Jesus Christ to us. That we brought nothing to the table, but when while we were yet enemies of you, rebelling against you, running far from you, you came after us, you pursued us, to extend to us grace and to make us know the peace that we can have with you because of Christ. We do not add to it. We cannot take away from it. Christ dying on the cross was sufficient for every sin that we have committed, every sin that we even now are committing, and every sin we will ever commit. He paid it all. 
There is now no condemnation, you tell us, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, Father, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. And Father, as we, as we receive and remember, I pray that we would revere the gospel and that we would give you all the praise and the honor and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever because you alone are worthy of it. In Christ's name we pray.